Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. You're listening to Done By Law, brought to you by the Federation of Community Legal Centres. Hello and welcome to Done By Law on 3CR. Um, You're with Gemma and Sam and um, we'll jump straight into it uh, because the Victorian government uh, is mounting the case for local councillors in the state to be elected in single member wards, arguing it will improve community democracy. But critics of the plan say it will lead to less diversity in local government and one of those critics is the former mayor of Melbourne and leader of the Victorian Greens, Samantha Ratnam, and she joins us now. Good evening, Sam. Good evening, Sam and Gemma. Great to be with you. Um, now, what what is the current situation? How are councils elected um, right now? So most councils across Victoria have what's called a multi-member ward or unsubdivided ward, which essentially is what they call proportional representation. And that means that um, a number of people can get elected per ward. And the, I guess the easiest way to explain it is if you have sort of party A, party B and party C all running for a spot in local government in a ward, in a single member ward system, only one person can get elected. And so therefore, say party A and party B give each other their preferences, party A gets elected and nobody else does. In the proportional system, multi-member ward system, uh, both party, all of party A, B and C, independent C, would also get elected because it means that a multitude of voices are represented at local government, not just the majority voice. So one of the big concerns here is that these reforms could actually erase smaller parties and independents from local governments, which actually flies in the face of what a lot of community members say, which is that they want more diversity in their elected representatives and they don't want to go back to the dark old days when it was just major parties that dominated councils. So, Sam, where's this coming from? It seems to, um, you know, people who aren't intricately involved in local government to maybe have come a bit out of the blue. So what's the background? It's an excellent question and we too are very baffled. Uh, Over the last couple of years, there's been quite a bit of reform that's been touted. A previous Minister for Local Government wanted to bring in some reforms, went through quite a long consultation process. Unfortunately, the bill didn't make it through the last parliament. There was a lot of business on the agenda. And so in this new term of parliament, the new Minister for Local Government, Adam Tomurek, has come out with these new proposals which haven't been consulted on, not foreshadowed with the local government community. And there are a lot of people contacting us from local government, councils themselves, saying they're really shocked by this reform. It's a really retrograde step. And, for example, it could mean fewer women. We know it'll mean fewer fewer women will get elected to local government because multi-member wards actually produce more women, more diversity in the outcome, and single-member wards have fewer women and fewer independents and smaller parties. Going back to something you just said about um, the 
local councils currently being shocked and we know that mm. two, uh, around two-thirds of the local government association oppose the change. Mm. But couldn't that just be seen as those currently in power trying to maintain the status quo? Um, it's a good question. One thing that this uh, reform flies in the face of is actually the expert advice from the Victorian Electoral Commission. So it's not just councillors and community members who are saying we think multi-member wards are a better outcome. The VC actually does reviews every 12 years of every council and looks at how their elections are run. And their remit is to make sure that the outcome is as fair and equitable as possible. So they go and consult with the council, community members, they use evidence um, that they have gathered before. And they're the experts really charged with um, these sort of matters. And time and time again, almost every review they conduct recommends moving to multi-member wards or unsubdivided wards away from single-member wards. Uh, so it actually flies in the face of expertise um, of the people who are charged with giving us that independent advice. So it's very hard to um, figure out why the minister is pushing for these reforms because it's not backed by evidence, it's not backed by the DEC, and it's not backed by councillors or the community. And how would we... Um, there, there's this tension that you you talk about uh, about trying to encourage more diversity and more women and make sure mm. that um, everybody's being represented on council. Um, are there other ways that we can be doing it apart from multi-member wards? There are multiple things that need to happen to increase the diversity of representation, so of women, of people from diverse community backgrounds, multicultural backgrounds, from different parties, independents. Because, and you know, my experience at Moreland Council was that um, there was no one party that had a majority, um, and we had the full spectrum elected from the socialists to the liberals with independents, DLP, Greens, Labor, everyone there. And I actually think that that plurality of voices actually improved the outcomes for the community because it meant that you really had to work hard for your idea. You couldn't just rest on, you know, having a block that would support you no matter what you put up. Um, so there are a number of things that need to happen to improve diversity. People like the VLGA, the MAB, who are the peak bodies for local councils, run some great programs to encourage more people to run some run for local councils, more women, more people from multicultural communities. And those programs are having some success. But we know from the BEC um, reforms, the, the reform process, uh, review process that they conduct um, every, essentially every election cycle with a different set of councils, time and time again, their evidence suggests that this actual method of voting is one of the most powerful ways you increase that diversity. So you can't stop doing the other things, but why go backwards on something that you actually know that works, throw that out when it's one of the most powerful ways you increase diversity? Mm. Um, Sam, it might not be related, but it does seem to have some parallels um, to what we've seen uh, in different levels, um, formerly the federal level and, and um, more recently in state with the preference whisperer um, mm. and the party and the two major parties really... Um, you know, doing what they can to um, use minor parties to kind of channel votes in. Um, mm. Are you? Does it give you concern about the state of democracy in Victoria at the moment? Absolutely. We've been flabbergasted by these reforms. As I said, no forewarning, no consultation. We've been talking to lots of local councillors over the last few weeks, which is the time period which they um, release these proposals and have given the community very little time to actually get feedback in. And you wonder what actual rationale is sitting behind it because it isn't about democracy and improving the outcome because there's no evidence to support what the minister is saying is his rationale. So you have to wonder 
what else is motivating them here. And if it is to lock in uh, the major parties' dominance on local government, so, for example, a state government doesn't have as much opposition or a critical voice or another level of government really holding them to account, I think that's a really bad outcome for democracy. Mm. And where we're sitting here in the studios of 3CR in, in Collingwood um, is is has quite a high Greens vote. Um, mm. Do you do you think by opposing these moves you might potentially be um, op- opposing something could, that could be quite beneficial to your party? Uh, well, actually, in terms of uh, our representation, um, we've seen that when you've moved to multi-member wards, um, there's more Greens representation. Uh, i.e. being a smaller party that's growing in its presence. Uh, for smaller parties and independents, you, the proportional system is really powerful. So it's like the difference between the lower house and the upper house um, in state and federal parliament. You know, you get more uh, diversity of voices in the upper house generally because they use this proportional system of representation. Um, so we're really worried that the reforms will actually eradicate really powerful voices of diversity, the Greens, independents and others who have really done a good job at local council. You know, think about things like um, Pokey's reform. You know, our local councillors are doing such incredible work on the ground to protect their communities from the harms of Pokey's. They're doing great work on climate change action, on social justice, even supporting asylum seekers when other level, levels of government fail, um, fail on those issues. So it would be really sad to think that we're going to lose those powerful voices with these retrograde reforms. Mm. Sam, to put the other um, perspective in play, um, mm. we've, what we've seen in the last couple of years is you know, a range of councils who have come under close scrutiny. I know that um, there's been administrators appointed in Geelong, um, in other, one of the other western suburbs councils, and most recently um, up in South Gippsland. Mm. Um, are you amenable to the idea that there is a need for some change in the way local government is regulated and that in particular there's a need um, for changes to make sure that there's someone, you know, that people are able to, um, you know, have more oversight of what's happening in local government? It's interesting that you mentioned Geelong, actually, because when they got into trouble a number of years ago, um, there were, uh, was a review done of how that voting system was working. And actually, one of the outcomes was moving it to multi-member mm-hmm. wards. So actually, it was one of the solutions for a, dysfun- a council that wasn't functioning that well. So when you have these issues with councils, um, they're often not the same issue in terms of the problems that um, are being experienced. I think it's really important to take a case-by-case, exam- um, a case-by-case approach to um, redressing some of those issues. What I've seen now, having been at the local government level and now the state government level, state um, parliament level, is that um, local government is uh, often like the punching bag. You know, it often gets the, uh, a bad rap and, and people are putting it down a lot when it's doing such incredible work on the ground. It has problems from time to time, of course, and those things need to be redressed. They need to be held accountable. But these types of reforms aren't the fixes for those sorts of problems. In fact, um, the reforms that were touted over the last few years by the previous minister actually went to um, doing more preventative work for the issues that we were, some of the issues that we were seeing. And these reforms that are being proposed now seem really detached from that work that was done with local council in deep consultation with them. So I think, um, yes, you need to monitor it closely. You've got to make sure local government is performing well. They do a lot of that work themselves, um, and there's nothing wrong with scrutiny there, but you've got to make sure you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater and um, have a blunt way of trying to fix something uh, when it's not actually fixing the problem that's at hand. 
So, Samantha, what now? Um, you, you obviously oppose the move. Yeah. Do you think you'll be successful in opposing it? Um, I know the numbers are quite tight in state parliament at the moment. Um, is, there, is there something people can do if, if they feel passionately about this? Um, and, and what are your prospects of success? Um, absolutely. I think uh, we've got to do everything that we possibly can to raise the voices of opposition in this debate. I'm really fearful that uh, the major parties are going to lock in their dominance by both supporting these reforms. And if both parties support the reforms, well, then it will get through Parliament um, you know, without um, a chance for it to be amended or opposed or stopped. So we really need community voices to be heard. So we're encouraging people to get their feedback in. We just heard that the minister has extended the time for feedback by another week or so. So there's still time for you to get your feedback into um, the local government minister to put your views on the record about what you think about these reforms. We've got a number of things on social media um, with the uh, way to make a submission. So jump on my social media if you like and you can see the way you can make a submission. But we really need the community to speak up now. And um, the more we talk about it, the more we're hearing back from community who are quite aghast at the reforms being proposed. Lots of councillors who are joining the chorus of opposition. And uh, let's hope the government listens um, when people speak up about uh, what they don't like the government doing. Yeah. Um, and for people who do want to send their feedback uh, to the government, we've put a link on our Facebook page, on the Done By Law Facebook right. page, um, so people can click through um, to the page and there's an email address. And as I understand it, the um, feedback is due in on the 31st of July. Um, Samantha, while we've got you, we wanted to talk to you about one other topic Um if that's all right with you, and that is the issue of um, the dangerous uh, flammable cladding um, that at present is uh, wrapped around a number of buildings um, throughout Melbourne and throughout Victoria. Um, and I understand that there's been an announcement on that issue. Yes, there's um, been quite a lot of news today. The government's announced uh, a public uh, building rectification program, which essentially means that the government will help fixed with the rectification costs the people and owners in high-risk buildings. Uh, and it's something the Greens have been calling for for more than a year now, actually. So it's really welcome news and it's a real relief to the thousands of owners and residents who've really been struggling and really distressed by what's been happening. Uh, but there is more work to be done. So it is a really positive step forward. Um, we pushed for a parliamentary inquiry. I had a roundtable a couple of months ago with experts and residents to bring different ideas to the table about how we can get through this crisis to support residents. So I'm really glad uh, that the government has listened to the community campaigners and the residents and the owners and the push um, to get stronger action because to date the government's response has really failed a lot of the residents. And in, in the meantime, if people are living in these buildings with, uh, with combustible cladding, what do they do? I mean, there's, still, there's mm. the risk that it just goes up in flames. Is there a way to uh, mitigate that risk? Um, so that's a good question. So each building is slightly different in terms of when they get their assessment and they're assessed at a different level of risk. Um, the Victorian Building Authority is providing some support. Um, our office also is able to help um, if you're having a tough time navigating the system, but getting in touch with the authorities first to find out what the next steps are. And one of the issues has been is that the previous government responses, they um, sort of proposed a loan system where a building could 
as a group of owners could take out a loan, um, take out loans individually, and then they could help uh, fund the rectification works. And then it was up to the owners to go and pursue whoever was responsible for those costs. And what they were finding was that you'd have to get a certain percentage, like 75% of the owners in a building to agree, a big apartment building to agree. Um, and each of those residents would have to come up with like up to $60,000. And the loan scheme wasn't working. Nobody accessed the loan scheme. Um, people were facing financial ruin. So the threshold to get action to rectify your building was just too high. So these buildings have been sitting there at high risk with these owners and residents sitting in their buildings and their homes, which are unsafe. Um, so we hope now with this announcement, things can move more quickly, but we'll be keeping a very close eye to make sure that residents get the support they need to rectify their buildings as quickly as possible. Samantha, can I just ask you one um, question about that? So the government's going to foot the bill for the repairs. Is that where it stops? Will the, will the government just be paying for repairs that should arguably be paid by the people who decided to put the, the cladding on or will they then be able to recoup that money? So that's a really good question as well. The, our proposal, the Greens actually proposed a solution. This was May last year when we first put it on the agenda and we said the uh, government should help with the upfront rectification costs and then pursue the people responsible because often, you know, government has uh, a stronger arm to pursue this legal action. And there are some cases now where you're getting some resolution where you are able to hold those responsible to account. Um, I haven't heard much in this announcement about what happens next, but we'll be urging the government to ensure that they do hold those responsible um, to account. And the other issue that they have to focus on is the systems fix. So one of the reasons we've got into this trouble is because the system of building and planning that kind of cobbles together permissions for this type of material to be used, which ultimately now has been found to be very dangerous, has been a really weak system. And essentially it's happened because we've deregulated building and planning. We've privatised a lot of the functions that once used to be within council or state government's hands, like building surveyors, for example. So we're really hoping and we're urging, we'll be pushing the government to make sure they look at the systems problems and actually fix those things so that we can prevent this from ever happening again and that we don't let an industry now that is it has weak regulation continue to operate like this because we're going to keep seeing problems like this arise if government doesn't do their job to regulate something that ultimately is a matter of public safety. Let's hope that those regulations get in place uh, and that we don't see any, um, yeah. any disasters in the future. Um, Samantha Ratnam, thanks very much for joining us on Done By Law. Thank you so much for having me and for covering both these matters because they are very, very important to um, all of Victoria and important to us as well. That's Samantha Ratnam, uh, former more Mayor of Moreland, now the leader of the Victorian Greens. And speaking of regulations, privatisation and local government, we're going to be talking about some in just a sec um, after this song. You're listening to Done By Law on 3CR with Sam and Gemma. You can try to make amends Tell the world that we're still friends But was it worth it? Just the thought of someone else Who has you now all to herself It made me nervous but did I earn? Did I deserve? Did I push you way too hard? The way I
deserve it. Did I push you way too hard? The way I always push too far. Always push too far. Cause I'm not perfect. I'm still learning how to stop and let it go. All the feelings start to show. I just wanna let you know. Welcome back to Done By Law. You're with Gemma and Sam, and that was Thelma Plum with Not Angry Anymore. Now, we're going to continue the theme of maintaining a a strong democracy tonight. And right now, there's a a fight with the... Um, of the people of Footscray to save Footscray Park and they're doing it against their own council and some major corporations and here to talk about it tonight is our very own Gemma uh, who is heavily involved in the campaign. Gemma can you tell us what um, what's the proposal for Footscray Park? Thank you, Sam. I thought you'd never ask. Um, The proposal for Footscray Park, Sam, is basically to give away a very large chunk of it um, to a private company, uh, Melbourne Victory, who are a shareholder-owned A-League soccer or football team. Um, And the plan is to give away a very big proportion of the park down right on the river. So for people who know Footscray Park, it's, it's the large lawn that sits between the Botanic Gardens and the river um, that basically goes from uh, Victoria University to um, the Children's Playground. So it's a really big piece of land. Um, The plan is to lease it to Melbourne Victory under a 21-year lease, which would give them exclusive possession. Um, They would build three synthetic soccer um, stadiums, uh, sorry, fields with a stadium, a two-storey, 500-seat stadium, um, and they will build 10 uh, floodlight poles, Um, And so the people of Footscray are very concerned, firstly, about um, being shut out of what is public land and our land and and well-used and much-loved land, um, but also the very significant and negative um, environmental consequences of building such a monstrosity along the side of our rare saltwater river. So there's in in Footscray, which is your your home um, and has been for a very long time, um, but there is a high uh, population of... Uh, immigrants and uh, a population of people who really love soccer. Uh, are you just um, blocking a benefit for your own community? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it is quite interesting because there's not necessarily a high proportion of people who love soccer. Um, we've had a look at some of the um, stats on people who like soccer, and I think it's somewhere around uh, a couple of percent of the population. Um, so it's actually relatively low. Um, but I think that's quite... Um, you know, it's it's an aside, really. Um, it distracts from the real issue, which is that we're not anti any kind of sport. Um, at the moment, that land can be used um, flexibly for any kind of sport, and occasionally it is used for soccer, it's used for rugby training, it's used by people who play cricket, um, and it's also an off-leash dog area. 
a place where people can um, kick or hit any kind of ball really. Um, and our objection is firstly to fixing it to only be able to be used for soccer um, and secondly to give it to a private company that will shut us out. So people will need to pay to play to be on those fields um, during peak times um, because Melbourne Victory will want to use it as an academy after school and during weekends, which is when we use it and love it. And it's right near, so it's just over the river from uh, Flemington Racecourse. To me, there seems to be a, quite a large area of land within the racecourse itself. Why can't they, have they given a reason why they can't just use that? Um, they haven't really given us a reason why they've not looked into any other options. We've also pointed them to, um, there's lots of land around um, the Victoria University campus in St Albans. There's lots of large industrial areas. I mean, this is a private company. Private mm. companies ordinarily have to buy the land they want to use for their projects. Um, so no, we're, they're not giving us any answers about using any other land. Um, and it's quite interesting that you mentioned the racecourse because the land was actually brought um, as a result of lobbying. It was owned by the Racing Commission, as I understand it, and it was bought way back in 1911 after the people of Footscray lobbied for its creation. It was always a poor area. It was full of miners and um, workers, um, and it didn't have parks like other areas. And so the people of Footscray lobbied for its creation, and they built it using their labour and donated plants. Um, and so that's another reason we say it needs to be preserved and kept in public hands and, and kept for everyone to be able to use it, not just um, people who can afford to be part of the company that is occupying it. And so there's a there's a contingent of you locals. Are you welcoming people from outside of uh, Footscray to come and help you or is it, um, and, and what can people do? Absolutely. So there's two things people can do. The first thing they can do is come to our rally. We're having a community rally um, outside the council offices at the Footscray Town Hall. Um, so that's next Tuesday, the 23rd of July at 5.45. Um, very specific time because it's ahead of a 6.30 council meeting, which a number of us will head into um, and ask questions at. Um, and we welcome people from anywhere and everywhere, anyone who's got a connection with the park, a connection to public land um, or just a desire to not see um, public land handed over to profit-making companies um, is not only welcomed but will be uh, warmly welcomed and appreciated at the rally. Um, the second peop thing people can do is continue to write in to the Maribyrnong Council. So far we're hearing that about 90% of the submissions they're receiving are opposed, strongly opposed. Um, the submission deadline is, has been extended. Um, for more information, people can go to our website, um, which is www.savefootscraypark.com um, or follow us along on Facebook, which is facebook.com forward slash savefootscraypark. I, I understand that you can also buy sweet T-shirts on the website. Oh, there is sweet, sweet merch, tote bags and T-shirts. So have a look <laughs> on our website. Well, well um, hope to see you there at the rally. Um, I think that's all for us tonight um, and um, it's been a pleasure talking to Sam Rattenham and yourself, Gemma. Oh, thanks, Sam. <laughs> Good night, everyone. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.